0: Hey folks, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing podcast. Um today I didn't I didn't really want to touch on it. It's probably why I didn't do a preview on the Golovkin versus Devin Vniachenko fight. Never know how to say that name. So I'll probably say it 17 different times between now and the end. But I think last night's fight probably anchors a lot of what's right and what's wrong in boxing. And through that, maybe we can understand who and what we really are as fans. So it was a boxing fight. It's a fight that no one really wanted. Golovkin at 37 just wants big names to anchor his career. That's all he wants. Having to fight someone like Sergei Derin vyachenko At some point I'm gonna learn how to say this. I've got nothing to read, unfortunately, so I can't read. I just I am right at Derren. I'm gonna call him Darren Brown from now on. But essentially it's a fight that no one really wanted. They'd have both rather have had easier routes to where they want to get to. You know, Sergei, as we're gonna call him now. Because it's always easy to take a title when you don't have to fight Golovkin, the guy that can't be stopped. And for Golovkin, it's like, (laughs) I'm probably going to take a few hard shots here because he's from a similar boxing school to me. So it's as close to mirror image as you're going to get because, you know, the guy that iced Danny Jacobs, always forget his name, Pirog, Dmitry Pirog. Got it. He, no, he never fought Golovkin and that's one of those... What if they'd fought at that sort of time? So they have a fight. And when I look back on that fight, my question actually is, where's it gone wrong for Golovkin? Because I genuinely think the Golovkin that fought Willie Monroe or Dominic Wade might have won this by stoppage. Or maybe he wouldn't have. I don't, and it's tough to tell because Golovkin has so few benchmark fights. The challenge of the middleweight division is essentially this: for Golovkin's generation of activity, maybe not generation age-wise, but generation in terms of activity, it was pretty mediocre for the most part. So, Willie Monroe, Dominic Wade, Curtis Stevens. These are kind of all guys that were floating around between weights, right? They weren't really sure what weight they were. You can, and then you had the guys like what I call the, the kind of gatekeepers to the gatekeepers your, your Matt Macklin's, your Martin Murray's. Uh, I think he had a Daniel Gill in there as well. And then just the guys that he brought up to slaughter, like Ishida. And so Golovkin's got a lot of mediocre opponents on his record. And I measure me- mediocrity simply by this. None of those guys really went on to do anything. But then there came that point where he had to step up because people were saying we need to get our money out of Golovkin. And when he stepped up against a guy like Danny Jacobs, and Danny Jacobs is by no means a monster, it was a struggle. When he stepped up against Canelo, who had very few of the advantages that Golovkin supposedly had, he struggled twice. But then in this phase of the, his career, what Golovkin's also done is he's managed the mileage on his body because he'll have a really intense fight, like a Canelo. Then he'll have a Steve Rolls type of fight, which is meant to just be a, like, a, like a run out. Just, you know, pick up your money, sustain very little damage, stop the guy. And he's struggling to do that. And it's not as easy as saying Golovkin's shit and he was overrated as I sent the third. The fact is the man is 37 and has a style that means you just accumulate mileage. And if you look at... So I speak from experience. I know the punches. So I'll go back. I have a friend called Anthony Small. Well, we were friends. I haven't seen him for a few years. Um, if you Google, you can understand why. But Anthony Small was the kind of guy that if he hit you, you stayed hit. He... He could hit far harder than his weight would suggest. He was, he was a, just a guy you didn't want to be in with. He was fast. He could punch hard. You know, these were hurtful shots. But when you were young, they don't hurt as much. And I can remember knocking about with him in my 20s, and we'd do rounds, and he'd hit you, and you'd be like, "That's all right." You'd wake up the next day, your jaw'd click a bit. You know I mean, you might be a bit tender around the cheeks, but you'd be okay. And then 10 years later. Maybe nine years later, when you're doing that same work with him, it all just hurts a bit more because it's almost like you've used up your physical overdraft in your earlier years. And these punches all hurt a little bit more. It takes a bit more resilience to get through some of these things. And eventually you really start feeling the punches and it's quite disheartening and it's disheartening because you're like, these punches never used to bother me. And then you go, damn, I never used to get hit by these shots. And that's what you're seeing with Golovkin. There was a body shot in the fifth round that Golovkin got hit with. And it was when you saw him recoil in the same way he did in that Brook fight. And, you know, we haven't touched on that Brook fight, but we might have to. And he took a left hook to the body. And what, what was impressive about the, the setup for that was Derevyanchenko, wrong again, Touches him, just, just, a, just a throwaway left hook to the top of the guard, so Golovkin's expecting something else to come, so he's distracted. And then he's found a way to the liver, all the way around the back of... He's almost gone around Golovkin's elbow seven times, and just found the liver. And you can see that took everything Golovkin had in that moment to resist going down. And fair play for the courage and the strength. But a few years ago, Golovkin would have walked through that. And that's just age. That's just being 37 and having the mileage that Golovkin does. You know, that's where he's at now. He's at that place where he has to knock people down and knock people out, but he's going to have to ship so much punishment doing it to the point where if you have a Canelo type chin, you're going to massacre Golovkin. Anyone who's got that kind of chin, and can throw punches and bunches as a combination puncher with a reasonable degree of power. You're going to hurt Golovkin. I don't take any joy in saying that because I understand how painful physical decline is, man. I live with it every day, and I can understand why guys start to, you know, talk to doctors about you know, various potions and combinations and IV drips and stuff. I understand where that comes from because you look at yourself and go, "I don't want to go out like that." So you're watching this fight and you're watching Golovkin say to Derevianchenko, right, I'm just going to have to take these punches and then I'm going to land. And hopefully when I land on you, it will do enough damage to discourage you. But because Golovkin is so used to being the destroyer, it's almost like he has that pressure to destroy people. He doesn't systematically attack the body, which he should do now. Now that he's not necessarily slower, but he's older And he's a bit more pedestrian in terms of reflexes and so forth. So now is probably the time for him to start investing to the body. And you'd have thought for that you'd have stayed with Abel Sanchez. Jonathan Banks isn't a known expert when it comes to body punching. You know, remember when he joined Jonathan Banks and it was, we are talking about movement, more head movement, more foot movement. And you're like, this man's heading to his late thirties. He's got four more fights he has to do. Probably, is it three now? Four? No idea. But we're looking at a guy who's going to stop boxing at 39 years old. Yeah, nearly 40. Remember what Ali was like when he was that age. That's what mileage does. The, The decline is not slow and it's not linear. It's exponential. A year from now, he'll be a lot worse than he was now. And all we will do is say, I want this man to stop boxing. That's what worries me about Golovkin. You know, people say, ah, oh, but he can do this, he can do that. What Golovkin really has is that rock solid chin, and he's got a couple of punches. He knows that if he lands them, he can put you down. He's where Carl Frotch was when he was 37. And what did Carl say? I can't do this anymore. And Carl rode off into the sunset. Maybe Golovkin will have to retire before his design contract's up. Sometimes the body just says no. Now, as for Derevianchenko, is he a world beater? Don't know, because we still need to see these guys like the Charlos and so forth. Now it's their turn to step up. You know, if we assume Billy Joe is going to struggle at 160 now, which I think is a fair assumption to make. I want to see the Charlos come up. Both of them at 160, let them fight these guys like Andrade. Andrade is this mythical beast where his record doesn't suggest anything. His best win might be beating Brian Rose, if we're being brutally honest. Because how he won the belt is an absolute disgrace. So they just dug some lad up of a Botswana mine and said, mate, you're fighting for a world title. Wow. How, you know? And this is the sort of thing Hearn would criticise to feels on the other side of the fence. But he goes with it because he has to make something out of Andrade. But everyone's tried and everyone's failed. He's just not a guy. And and he said something pretty profound where he said, look, everyone wants you to have a toe-to-toe war and go at it, but no one's going to come and visit you in the hospital afterwards. And I get that. And that's cool. But if you want to make a living in this sport, you're going to have to go to that dark place. You're going to have to take those risks. That's what people pay their money for. I don't pay my money to see you just sit on the back foot and box when you feel like it. You know, do you want to do that? Be an amateur forever? Fine, happy to do it. Happy to support it then. But bringing it back to Golovkin, there's a handful of fights people want to see him have. But the key thing for him now is he's got to move up. he's, he's got to stop begging for these fights and he's got to move up and say I'll fight Callum Smith. I'll fight a David Benavidez. I'll fight those guys at 168. I'll fight a guy at 175 just to show you guys I've got range. Because that's what Canelo has done. Canelo looks around and goes, there's no fight that interests me at 160. I'm going to go to 168. I might come back down to 160 if there's something exciting. Nah, there isn't. I'll go to 175. Canelo Alvarez right now is a definition of pound for pound number one. Because everyone says it's theoretical, but he's the one guy that's going into all these different weight divisions and beating top guys. That's what we wanted Golovkin to do. And I don't think he's done that. So if we want to go back to the end and go, right, do we think he beat Derevianchenko? In terms of rounds, seven five either way, I'm not gonna cry about factoring the knockdown. I probably think a draw would have been a representative result. But where that leaves that is, now they've got to do it all again. Because it doesn't make sense to call for Canelo Alvarez 3, because Canelo's response will be, you just had a very close fight with a guy that I wouldn't even bother to fight. You need to go and clean that up, then I might talk to you. So I imagine, in the interest of that, and I imagine zone saying, it's a risk-free fight, it's got public interest already, it's probably what we need, but it's not what we wanted. So hopefully they'll just run that back again, Early ish next year, get that out the way. And then we see Golovkin start to take a few more risks with his career. Because otherwise, him on Dazone will prove to be a massive bust, like a lot of other things. And I'd like to do something on where we are with Dazone a year down the line. But that's probably, this is not likely to be the podcast for it. But overall, there you go. People say it was a great fight. I just thought you had a, a young Ukrainian or youngish Ukrainian, you know who needed a defining fight. And you had a fading star who was literally boxing on memories and integrity and heart and toughness and grit. And you wonder how many more of those performances Golovkin can dig out, because as you get older, it just gets harder. But but let's not not look at all this doom and gloom. Because one of the things that did come out of Saturday was it's probably time to now talk about Jerome Ennis as quite possibly the realest deal we have in boxing. I think it's fair to now start calling him the archetype in terms of how you build a boxer. A man I, I'm supremely impressed by everything the man does.
1: How you feel about this fight though?
0: Uh, I felt good. I mean I feel like I could do a little... I wanted to be a little sharper but I did what I was supposed to do, I was listening to the corner, I did what I was supposed to do, I got the win. Yeah. What is it looking like in the near future for you? Uh, we're we probably right back in the gym, I mean right back in the ring probably uh, December, so I'll be back in the gym probably Monday, you know I me, mean? <laughs> I gotta stay in the gym, stay sharp, so get ready for what we're next, we want them all. Well, you know you're in a hot division. Yeah. Any specific names you want to, you know, aim for? Any, any, all right, but I don't care who it is. All the champions, anybody in the top 10, top 15, even at 140, anybody. you think about 140? Yeah, anybody, anybody right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Boots Ennis, he took on Damian Daniel Fernandez. Fernandez tried. It's nothing to do with Fernandez. Boots Ennis was just simply too darn good. Exactly right. And you know, I, I just get the impression watching Anas, I like him so much. I know Raul does too. Watching him so much, you get the feeling that you're gonna have to watch him ten more times to find anything to not like. Now I got put on to this young man by a friend of mine, Greg Hackett, who I'd love to get on this podcast at some point because, you know, he he has a really interesting take on boxing. One that I I take a lot from when I when I train guys. You no, know, he's 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 so deeply entrenched in that Philly school of boxing that you're, you're, you're tapping into a lot of knowledge there. So look out for that one at some point. I do need to start getting guests on before you guys get bored of me. But everything about Jerome Ennis is good. He can, His defense is solid. He His attacks are beautiful. He's creative with the punches he throws. He's so fundamentally sound. Never gives up position. Never gives up balance. He's a, he's a hard guy to get a shot off on. Like he's one of these guys who... He's a throwback boxer to that, that, that kind of style where you're trained to be a professional boxer. There's not a lot of the amateur stuff he used to do. He's just a really good pro, and it looks like he can, he can crack. That's 24 wins, 22 stoppages. And what makes him really good is this. He can't have been a pro much longer than Conor Ben. if he's even been a pro longer than Conor Ben, But you look at his record... And you look at how they've built him, they've just built him off the beaten track. So when he does come up to co-main eventing, uh, chief support and all these sorts of things, he's ready. I would put Jerome Ennis in with Kell Brook now, and that win would legitimize him. It's a shame that guys like Lamont Peterson and Jose Luis, not Jose Luis Castillo, Luis Colazo are either retired or at the tenant end of their career, because he needs, a, he needs someone like that. To, to showcase what he's about and then you start to look at him as being one of the top 5 welterweight, maybe top 10 but he's the, he's the archetype of how you build a fighter and I'm really looking forward to see what Joe Nenis gets up to in the pro game because he is and I repeat, he is the real deal and it's a lesson for British promoters, that's how you build a guy let him get to 24 and 0 and we don't know any of those 24 opponents because when he gets to that top level, he's ready. I and mean, you know, people made fun of Wilder and they said he fought 32, 33 bums. But I tell you this for nothing Wilder will not be found wanting at the top level. Whereas if you look at guys like Joshua, who were fast tracked to the top, struggled. DeGale, fast tracked to the top, struggled. And it's a real British thing where we have no sense of development. You know, we have no sense of. And boxing fans genuinely don't understand what it takes to be a fighter on a main event on a big show, whether it's pay-per-view or top-level TV. They don't understand the commitment required, not just in the ring, but outside of the ring. So they just say, look, you fought this guy today, go fight that champion tomorrow. Because that's what they want. As a fan, that's what you want. You don't want longevity. You just want your next fix. You want your next dopamine hit your next thing to talk about, so you, Boxer X, have to fight him, or you're ducking him, or you're scared, I don't care about your development, I don't care how you should be built, I want you to be built in a way that makes me happy, that makes me feel complete, and I can't agree with that, and if we go back to the Golovkin thing, here's the issue I have with people, when it comes to Golovkin, it's so tribal that it it's never based on intelligence or common sense, logic, or anything like that, because... Here's what we know for certain. He has a draw and a loss against Canella, right? And whatever you think about that, that's a fair record. And it's a fair record because you, even the Golovkin fans would only turn it over by a round. One round out of 12. What's that? 7-8%? an 8% swing, really? And, and that, that, that gives them all this fuel to be angry. And it's become so tribal that it's not really about people being intelligent. It's about people just saying, this is the line that I hold. And I'm not changing it for anyone. Because I am right and everyone else is wrong. And it's very toxic for boxing. Because here's the reality. Three people get to decide who wins the fight. What I think happened is irrelevant. What you think happened is irrelevant. Because by the time you even talk about it, the fight's done. People bleating and people trying to rewrite history, I promise to God I'll save you the effort. You'll never change the outcome of that fight. So you have to accept it. And I wish boxing would be like this, where we just say, look, accept it is what it is. You know, it's very easy to shoot people down and say, well, you know, in my opinion, this is what happened. Your opinion doesn't matter in boxing. If you really want to back your opinion, go out there and do something. Get your amateur license, get your pro license, whatever it is you want to do, go out there. Go and test out your opinions. Come back and tell us how it went out, how it worked out for you. That's all. If you really have an opinion that you think counts, go and make it count. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. I'm saying go out there and make it count. Because we will listen to it. But this tribalism in boxing has to stop. Because it makes seemingly responsible adults look like children. And that's not pleasant to see. And we need to move away from that. And I'm hoping that when Jerome Ennis starts coming up, we don't get this tribal bullshit. I'm hoping when he comes up and maybe he'll fight a couple of Brits. I hope people just respect the fact that this is the kid that can box. Don't, over, don't overly scrutinise his record. Don't do this. Don't do that. Watch him in the ring against whoever he's in front of and just judge their performance. Then judge the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, Stop trying to rubbish people to suit your own agenda. You're not even rubbishing people because they're rubbish. You're rubbishing people because it doesn't suit your world view. It's pretty sad. Just enjoy the sport as a fan. Be annoyed by all means, but don't carry this negativity in your heart forever and a day, man. Stop reliving battles of the past. Just move on. I think that probably touches on everything I wanted to say today. But what I did want to do is I wanted to sign off. Normally I'd sign off with, you know, Cool Connections, Omdelest as my outro. But I just wanted to sign off with something that I heard Eddie Hearn say. And as you well know, I'm not often his biggest fan. But here's a time when I I have all the time in the world for Eddie Hearn. And if he can make good on what he's identified as a major failing in our society, if he can make good on it, if he can take some of that money he makes from us fans and make our society better, then it's on him now because he's identified the problem. Let's see if he can find the solution. But I just want to leave you with this clip because...
1: I thought it was a pretty interesting clip. I think it's important to tell. Yeah, go on. Is I was on the train, the tube, from Hammersmith to Liverpool Street the other week. I was actually with Frank the Tank. And I walked past, we walked past probably eight kids, and I reckon they were about between the ages of 13 and 15. And one of them's looked at me and obviously he sort of thought, hmm, know that geezer. Is that... Uh, is that James Bond? No, it's, uh, it's that fat boxing geezer. No, seriously, he looked at me and he was like, they well, started whispering. Yeah, they <laughs> started whispering. And walked off and someone shouted something out, and we went down the train, sat down, looked round, anyway, they all come down the train, right? About eight of them. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be embarrassing if you got mugged by a couple of 14-year-olds? <laughs> so anyway, one of them comes up to me and says, uh, is you a millionaire? I said, sorry? He went, is you a millionaire? I went, "Uh, yeah, I'm actually, mate. And he went, you ain't a millionaire. I said, why? He went, because you've got an iPhone 6. I said, so if you've got an iPhone 6, you can't be a millionaire. He said, no, if you was a millionaire, you would have an iPhone 10. I said, okay, nice one. He went, and what is that watch there? Is that the one you was wearing? Yeah. This is a gift of my good friend Anthony Joshua. And I said, it's Odomar Piquet. He went, if you were a millionaire, you would have an AP. I said, yeah, that's an AP. <laughs> so anyway, I just started talking to him. I said, where you boys been? Oh, we've been at the uh, the centre. I said, what's the centre? I said, oh, it's where, where you go when you get kicked out of school. So I said to him, so what happened? He said, well, we got, I got expelled from three schools. I've got th- two schools. I've got four schools. I said, and what do you do at this place? Nothing. He said, they put us in a room and like every hour or so, they'll walk past. They'll give us some work to do. They'll walk past and check. With, Doing work, but like we ain't, we don't even bother doing work. We just sit there and like we just mess about. And I said, do you think you're going to achieve anything doing that? He was like, what do you mean? I said, well, shouldn't you actually do some work, try and get some knowledge, and try and better yourself, and maybe get a career? He said, do you think people give a fuck about us? I said, well, it's up to you, isn't it? He said, no, no. He said we ain't got no choice. He said, what chances have we got? People are giving up on us. And I was just talking to him, thinking. Wow, you have no chance, do you? I mean, One, your attitude's all wrong, but two, you've got no one to inspire you, you've got no one to teach you, you've got no role models, you've got, you know, obviously you haven't got the parents who are trying to give you that knowledge and that drive, and, and what are your options in life? You know, you imagine being in that position, it's impossible to get motivated. What, what, what can you turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work really hard in this, whatever they call it, detention centre, and then I'm going to go and get a job as a trader in the city. I mean it ain't gonna happen, is it? Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. You're gonna come out there and any employee that looks at you is going to see you've been expelled three times from school, you went to a youth detention centre. How on earth can you make it something of yourself? And I just found it fascinating to talk to this kid and it was like, you know he sort of he just he resented everything, society. You know, just and it was like basically the only thing I can do is sell drugs. Or running again like that's my only chance to make money and you know like you start thinking I don't blame you you know as as bad as that sounds like and obviously shouldn't look to do that but when you have no hope and no future and this is where I feel like the government this is maybe one for another interview are failing young people so badly because where is the support where is the inspiration where is the opportunities and a lot of it I feel comes from sport I think people really underestimate what sport can do for young people. Boxing massively, but any sport, in mind. like you've only got to watch kids play sport. I watch my daughter play hockey, and that like it's it's such a joy to watch them. You know, there's no money involved. You know, Mm. there's no one trying to you know screw anyone or get an edge or there's no business. It's just the love of the sport and running free and competing against someone else. But and after the game, they teach them. Right, you, you clap, you come through here, you everybody shakes hands, win or lose, you know, and, and they've got this thing where they pick a, a man or, or girl of the match from the other team, like, as the other team. You know, and it's like, it's such a great feeling. And you, and you, and you think that what sport can teach you in that respect, boxing particularly, respect, discipline, you know, hard work, uh, drive, all those things. It doesn't mean you've got to be a boxer. But it's stuff that you can apply and have that mindset. But when you're a kid and you're in that kind of position, I just I don't see a way out, you know. And that's why I think we as a society have to try and inspire that generation to do something. I can't talk to those like I'm talking to those kids here, yeah, and I'm saying, oh, what you got to do, mate, is you got to do this. And they, they look at me as if to say, Fuck, you, you you got a rich dad. It's fucking all right for you. I mean, I can tell them yes. Yeah, the hand you're dealt which I'm a big believer in but the truth is is I can't inspire those people AJ Dylan White. of course they're the people that can inspire those people Rio
0: mm. you
1: know any anyone like that who's come from that exact background and made it you can't say oh if, if you train hard you'll be a boxer or you'll be they can just tell them how they did it you now how they got an opportunity worked hard and, and found success so it's a, it's a deep one it's a really deep one mm. and that's now when we talk about the Sadiq Khan conversation I don't know what the answer is because without funding you can't put more police on the streets. But more importantly, where's the investment in sport and providing opportunities to young people?